Please turn with me your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It's our Old Testament reading this morning, 1 through 11. And um, just as we read this, apart from Christ, no matter what we try and do to find fulfillment, happiness, hope, direction, purpose, meaning, it might go for a little while. You know that if you're a Christian this morning, before Christ, you might have had seasons that prospered in some ways, but ultimately it was vanity. Deep down in our hearts, we knew that something was missing, and that's really a someone, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's kind of what Ecclesiastes is about. Ecclesiastes is all about, but um, it just shows our our nature in Adam. You know, as, as we're in Adam and not in Christ, we're never going to have true fulfillment, true peace, and true hope. That's just the bottom line. So our reading is... Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll turn over to Romans chapter 5. Vanity of vanities, beginning in verse 2, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. And then over to Romans chapter 5. By the way, I am back to the ESV. My little experiment with the NSAB comfort print. <laughs> I'm not going to read all, all the passages this morning, but uh, just know that uh, as, as, you're, as you're turning, that's where I'm going to be uh, reading from. So as we come to this section this morning, again, that's the, the Christian life is always so much of that tension, that, that difficulty, that... It's it's tough. It's hard. They're hard truths that we have to really get into our hearts and our lives about our condition apart from Jesus Christ. But then the good news comes with Jesus Christ. It always ends in glory. It's always Christ triumphing in, in grace in him and hope in him. So that's what I want us to understand. Either we're in Adam, and in Adam, just like the, the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, it's going to end. It's just vanity. There's really nothing in the end. You know, what, what are you going to bring to heaven? What are you going to bring when you die? You can't bring anything with you. Where are you going to go when you die? We know, apart from Jesus Christ. People know that in their heart of hearts. That's why they're never happy. That's why they're never satisfied. That's why they want to try to live as long as they can in this life. Huh? That's sad in, in many ways because they don't have that eternal hope. We do. That our eternal hope comes through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. Yeah. But at one time, we all found ourselves in that same boat with those who do not believe in the Lord. Right? So we know what that feels like. We know what that is like. That's why we're earnest to preach the gospel. 
So Paul's talking about the benefits of justification. And last week, just a quick, quick recap. The three things to remember uh, coming into this section is covenant, the whole idea of covenant. We talked about that, of representation, that Adam represents us. All those who rep- he represents are in sin. All those whom Christ represent uh, have their sins forgiven. And then we talked about original sin. So if you don't remember those, too bad. I'm not going to go over it. You can check out the sermon again, or hopefully you took notes. Bottom line is either we are in Adam or we are in Jesus Christ, one or the other. No, no other, no third option, right? There's, can't have one foot here and one foot there. You're either all in or you're all out. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And one thing we did talk about last week in this section was the importance of repetition. And when Paul's repeating these things, he's saying, I want you to get this. I want you to understand. That's why I'm repeating. That's why I'm contrasting. That's why I'm comparing. Because it's so important for you to understand this. Because he knew people would have questions. He knew they wouldn't fully understand. He knew one big objection is going to be, this isn't even fair. How can this be? So Paul's anticipating that. But he wants to make sure that the people know and understand. Remember Jesus and John 6, how he kept saying, you have to... Um, eat my body and drink my blood. He kept saying that. He kept saying that. He wanted the people to get it and understand it, that they need to fully trust in him. It's kind of the same thing here with the repetition. So today we're going to follow, the title of the sermon is In Adam. So we're going to follow that line. Again, this is the bad news. It's kind of Romans 118 through 320 or 321, kind of encapsulated in, in these verses here. Then next week we'll speak of justification in Jesus Christ. But Paul wants us to know this. So look at verse 15, for instance. One man trespass died. Verse 16, one trespass, judgment, condemnation, the key words. Verse 17, one man trespass, death through him. Verse 18, one trespass, condemnation. Verse 19, one man, disobedience, made sinners. So we see that, that, that in Adam, this is the deal. This is what happens. No mistaking that. He's leaving no doubt in our mind. In no uncertain terms, he's saying that Adam is our perfect representative. And his disobedience results in our separation from God and our condemnation. That's the consistent teaching of Scripture. We know the Bible teaches that throughout. We looked at this passage last week. We'll look at it again. In Genesis 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of his thoughts, of the thoughts of his heart, was only evil continually. And then John 3.36 tells us, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And you know this, we talk about this all the time, when we talk about remains, what's that presuppose? That we are already under the wrath of God. That's the truth, that's the deal. That's the the reality of the situation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of the glory of God. It's very true in life. It's very true in your life. Have you lived a perfect life in any way? Have you? Can you say, I've never sinned? No, not even one time. If you do, I want to talk to you after the service. <laughs> For real. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. People will say the common refrain these days, and they say it in a celebratory way. We are, we're just born this way. So celebrate that and embrace that. We are born this way. Yeah, we are born this way, which is why we must be born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. 
Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We need to be spiritually born again. So what I just said and what I'm about to say is extremely, extremely controversial. It's right. It's it's kind of to, to most people that you talk to, this is outdated. And I want you to know this because this is the context which we find ourselves right now. And we need to be prepared for this. So this is like the big illustration before we actually get into the text. But this is the idea that that we're we we are rejected by the world for saying what I just said and and like I said what I'm about to say but not only by the world but also in, increasingly within the church within evangelicalism as well you see it's really a collision right now of of two different world views so you can think of a, a two bullet trains on one track just coming towards each other and just just colliding and just crushing into each other and it affects each and every one of us and it, before we really get into the passage what he's talking about here is the root of the nature of man, of, of anthropology, of who man is, who we are, how and why we act the way that we do. And, and we are right now, beloved, right now at this time, we're living in a time where that the view of man is actually being defined by man and not by God, right? You understand that? It's a big deal right now for us. We're living in a day where some are calling it the, the triumph of the therapeutic. Do you know what that means? The triumph of the therapeutic, the medical model, that all our problems could be solved or you know, we, we kind of discover what they are through psychology, through psychiatry, and we kind of figure that out through medicine and science in that way. That, that's the tension that we live in as Christians, right? Because we think, well, what about sin over here? Does that have anything to do with the way we act? No, 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 not, not really. That's kind of what the world is saying. So we're at a time right now, and it's going to be very pertinent to this text we talk about, where we have psychology basically over theology. And psychology is kind of the way to go. Behaviorism over the Bible, without a doubt. Freud, Young, Rogers over Peter, Paul, and Jesus. That's the day that we're living in. That's a context. Now look, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I want to qualify this. I'm not, this isn't a blanket condemnation of the medical model. Okay, I'm not here, I'm not a, a denier. I'm not saying there aren't medicines that can't help and, you know, certain therapies that, that can't, there's a place for certain aspects of this. But what I'm saying right now, what you need to know, is that overall, overall, the medical model does not come alongside Christianity. Now, there's Christian counseling. That's a, we're not talking about that. We're talking about a worldly perspective. They're not coming alongside Christianity or subordinate to Scripture. Okay? But it's introduced as an alternative to the Bible. That's what you need to understand. And it's so hard because we've been so inundated over the last, you know, even 100 years, but especially the last 50 years with all of this. We just take it for granted. But I know as Christians, we might have questions about that. Well, where's the, is there a place for this? What about this? What about what the Bible teaches about human beings and our nature and so on and so forth? See? So the Bible says we're born in sin, right? As Christians, we believe that. Medical model says what? You're born in sin? No, no, I'm not going to say that. No, 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 no. People are basically good. We're born, you know, neutral at the very least. A 
Tabula rasa. How many of you have heard of that? The blank slate. John Locke. That's, that's how we're born. So it's nurture. It's environment. It's learned behavior. That's what forms us and the way we are and how we view the world and, and what kind of we become. Biological, physiological. That's the, you know, there's a chemical issues and imbalance in here in that way. That's kind of what we're, we're used to. These things, not sin, explain why people act the way that they do. See, we're kind of caught in this, aren't we? And there's a tension there to be sure, right? So the answer is not repentance. As a Christian, we say, look, you need to repent and believe in God. But it's not that for the medical model. I'm not going to say repent. It's rehabilitation for whatever we think is wrong, whatever the problem may be, if there are any problems anymore even, I guess. So it's not regeneration. We say you need to be born again, but it's education. Here's what you need to learn, okay? I'm not totally dismissing education or rehabilitation. Don't get me wrong. When we do wrong, according to the medical model, it's our circumstances and or our wiring. So the answer to that is therapy and medicine. Eh? Not really the Bible or God in any, in any way. So often, the problem is not you. It's the circumstances, not really your fault. And we're kind of bearing the fruit of that in our day and age today in so many, so many different ways. I'm just going to pick a few low-hanging fruit here as illustrations of this. Because we see this definitely when it comes to something like crime, don't we? The focus is less and less on the breaking of the law. You've broken the law, the action, the illegal action that was taken or the crime committed but where's the focus more and more put on? On the circumstance of that person's life. Why they did the things they did. The environment they were raised in. So we're not really taking into account the, the heart, the motives, the, the intentions of the heart in that way. It's rehabilitation, not incarceration. So we're in a place now. We don't need prisons. We don't need that kind of thing. It comes basically in some ways from this idea of thinking. The man is generally good, and all that's needed is change of environment, change of, you know, learning, education, even given that opportunity. Although sometimes, you know, you know, there's just so many contradictions. And I'd love to talk about this, these kinds of things. So if you want to talk to me further, if you have questions, set up a date with me, and we'll talk more about these. But they talk about, oh, it's this, it's this circumstance, that circumstance. I'm telling you, man, there are millionaires who love to go into stores and actually shoplift, okay? Oh, that's just a psychological disorder because something when they were young... You know, so there's no room for sin. There's no room for man being anything but either a blank slate or basically good but learning bad behavior. Nobody, nothing is anybody's fault. There's no personal responsibility. It's a little hyperbolic, I know that, but that's kind of where we find ourselves. We're victims of circumstance. Now listen, while some of these are absolutely true contributing factors, ultimately, and this is where it comes to Scripture. Ultimately, it comes down to our nature. We are sinful nature, fallen nature. This is part of the effects of the fall. So when you actually go down to the bottom, that's where it is. Secular psychology is not going to go there. They're not going to get that because they don't believe in God. So they're not going to see that aspect of it, our fallen nature. What's needed is, is actual... Uh, true conversion, actual transformation, that's what's needed. And there's countless examples of this in Scripture and obviously in life. You're in a, probably an example of this, right? How many of you blamed your circumstances, your life, this and that, as the sole reason why you were the way that you were, kind of giving you an out, an excuse for that? See, there's, you know better now. You know it's a sinful heart. So we have Mary Magdalene. We have the woman at the well. We have Zacchaeus. We have Paul. On and on it goes. Also, uh, in these areas when we talk about 
psychology, psychiatry and stuff, you notice it's very fluid as well. It's not like a standard that, that goes along the line and say, well, this is human behavior, this is the way we are, and this is what's not right, it's not normal. It might start that way because they've borrowed from Christianity, but where would we find ourselves today with this idea? And I'm laboring this because this is what we are up against as Christians every day, and I know we struggle with this to an extent ourselves. And well, isn't there a place for this? Aren't they kind of right? You know, and where does where does the Bible fit in and so forth? But understand, very fluid, changing all the time. What was like in the past considered abnormal or deviant or bad behavior, wrong behavior has changed. Go ahead, go read the diagnostic manuals, if you can find any, if this day from the 50s, 60s, 70s, and you'll see certain things that were considered to be aberrant behavior, abnormal behavior. Well, now they're very normal behavior to be accepted behavior. Again, low-hanging fruit for me, taking it here. We could talk about other areas, but the low-hanging fruit certainly homosexuality and transgenderism. At one time, that was considered like a mental disorder, a you know, a deviant behavior, not normal, abnormal. That needs to be. We need to get you to normal. You could check out the manuals again if you could find them. But today, no, you're not going to see that today. You're not going to find that today. It has changed. Uh, now it's considered right, normal, fully accepted, celebrated, and noble. And if you don't celebrate it, you know, you're going to get in big trouble. See, that's when human perspective comes in to the nature of man into the heart. At one time, these things are considered abnormal, deviant. Now they're completely normal. I wonder what psychologists, how they counsel anybody today, because there's really nothing wrong. You know, like, what's bad behavior anymore? You know, like, what's normal? And, and so it, it might be difficult for psychologists even get to get to that place because they've lost that standard. Well, this is what we're confronted with every single day. And as Christians, if we bring in the sin issue, our anthropology, our teaching of what the Bible actually teaches about man, it's definitely considered archaic. It just is. It's considered harsh. It's considered, you know, people without understanding and it's kind of silly. But the Bible is clear at the root of all of this is our fallenness in our sin. We fail to meet God's standard. And that's what's happening. We fail to meet his standard of righteousness. We break and replace his standard with one that suits us. That's what's happening. That's what goes on. We want to be our own God. We want um, to answer to nobody but to ourselves. And we're going to define morality. We're going to define, define sexuality. We're going to define normality, whatever whatever that means. We're going to define justice. And that's kind of what, what goes on. And so you see those that clash of the world view. This section in Romans teaches us about human nature. It explains our rebellion against God, our responsibility, how we fell into sin. And then it goes on to give us the only authentic, true, and lasting solution in Jesus Christ. So this morning our focus is going to be verse, that was a pretty long introduction, wasn't it? But it's setting this up because you need to know this and we need to understand this because I know it's confusing for Christians. And I know if you're a Christian and you go to a secular psychiatrist or counselor, you're not going to get what you're getting here, obviously. And then you're going to have to, like, you know, what what is true? And so many Christians are taken off the path because if you bring in anything like sin and um, <clears throat> fallen nature, that's kind of a, a no-go, no, non-starter in that area. So uh, the focus, verses 12 through 14, and this is the state and condition in which we enter into this world. And this is the at the root of all 
our problems, all our issues. So Paul says this in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who is to come. So we'll stop our reading there. Again, those other verses that I read earlier support this. Paul goes back and reiterates and repeats these with uh, varying definitions on those as well. But there are several things here. This is going to be our message this morning. Several things, boom, 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 that teach us the truths about sin and about our nature. And it's true of each and every one of us. Verse 12, first thing we want to learn, if you're taking notes, is sin came into the world through one man. That's number one. Sin entered the world through Adam. That's the problem. Our problem is that there is our sinfulness. How it got here is through Adam. This means, and this is what you need to understand again as Christians, because we're under fire in every single way. <clears throat> Excuse me. This means that Adam was a real, historical, actual person. Surprise! <laughs> Do you know what I just said? It's extremely controversial, again. In the, in the world out there, it's just a fairy tale. Like, we're really viewed as silly for viewing the Bible in that way. And even among Christians. <clears throat> what you need to understand, it's not a myth. It's not a poetic account. It's not a type of fable, which people say that it is. The historicity of Adam is the very core, that he actually was a man who lived, who was created by God, Adam and Eve, in the garden. The historicity of Genesis 1 through 11, uh, Ken Ham's whole ministry revolves around that, doesn't it? Teaches that. Well, tickle. Maybe. <laughs> um, so it's not a myth. Not a poetic account, it's historical. Again, from the world, you're going to receive ridicule for, for that very statement. And again, among an increasing number of evangelicals as well, but Paul is very clear. Adam was a real man. Do you believe that? That's what you have to believe, number one. You have to believe that that is very true, that the Bible is true. <clears throat> Adam's an actual historical figure. I was at a party last night with my family, and we were talking about these things, and this actual this came up because uh, my family members... Some of them were saying, look, I believe in God and Jesus, but some of those things the Bible teaches, the miracles, I don't, I don't, I can't go there. I had a nephew that said, well, what do you think about Adam and Eve? You don't think they were really real, do you? Well, that started a nice little conversation. Absolutely, they were real. That's, that's historical. But the world sees that as very silly. So you have no authority <laughs> because if you believe that, we're not going to listen to you. But we must believe. Bible teaches, and it is true, that Adam was a real man. I know that sounds rudimentary, but you have to because you're going to be challenged on that. How can you believe that? Oh, that's just a story. Oh, a snake that talks. Come on, guys. You understand? So we have to hold firmly to the word of God. Christ believed in historical Adam. If Christ believed in historical Adam and there's not a historical Adam, guess what? We can close the book up and we can leave right now. Because even for the people that say, well, I believe Jesus and I believe in God. Well, Jesus believed in Adam and that he was a historical man. Right? So even we know this from Mark chapter 6, <clears throat> but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. It's referring back. And um, Matthew 23, 35, Jesus says, so that you may come to, so that you may come 
I'm sorry, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel, who was Abel, you know who Abel was, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Jesus is affirming the authenticity, historicity of Adam. He believed in Adam. So if you could say, well, I, I love Jesus, but don't give me the rest of the Bible. That's fable. No, no, no. Jesus believed in the historicity of Adam. And if it's not true, then Jesus is either a liar or a fool that doesn't know anything, and we should just walk away. But he did that. Paul believed in a historical Adam, 1 Timothy 2.13, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. Do you believe that? If you don't, again, come and see me after the service. We'll set something up for this week because that's essential, and that's what Paul's teaching here. Adam is a historical figure. This is how sin entered into the world. Then he goes on to say this. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death entered the world as a result of Adam's sin. And the, the death is a consequence. It's a penalty for that transgression. We talked about that last week. God said you can eat from every tree but one tree. The day you eat of that, what's going to happen to you? You will surely die. So didn't die physically on that day. There was that spiritual separation from God and spiritual death in that way. But eventually they did die physically as well. Listen, understand this right now. The death is not natural. People say, oh, it's just natural. The, the evolutionists, death is a natural part of life and living. No, it's not. Death was not part of the original creation. Do you understand that? That's a big deal. And there, there, was, there was no death at one time. There will be no death in the future. But right now and in between during, this, during the fall, there is death. It was not part of creation. It's not natural. Why do you think you cry at funerals? Why do you think you mourn at funerals? If it was natural, if it was normal, we wouldn't be, you know, we wouldn't be in that state. Why do you think we seek to avoid it so much, no matter what we say, most people, right? We prevent it. We delay it all that we can. The, from the latest advances in medicine to speed limits, everything there is to kind of to prevent death from encroaching and coming upon us. We're frightened of it. People, most people, hopefully if you're a Christian, you're not, but most people are scared to die. And I guess with good reason if you're not a Christian. Not, I don't guess. With good reason if you're not a Christian. We mourn. We miss. We feel deep emotional pain. Death was brought in by the fall. It's not natural. And these things kind of point to that, don't they? It's not like birth, right? Be fruitful and multiply. What do we do when a baby's born? <laughs> we jump up. We're excited. You're smiling. Your face is amen. Praise God. We celebrate life in that way because that's natural or so to speak. It's part of the creation. Do you understand that? That's a subtle little thing. But when you think about it, it's a big deal. And it points right back to Genesis in that way. I also want you to notice something else. In the day that we're living in, notice this. The farther away that we move from God, the farther away we, we move from Scripture and the reality of the Word of God, we begin to embrace death, don't we? So right now in our culture, there's kind of a, a, kind of a culture of death in, in many ways. 
We see with the abortion industry, euthanasia, everything that's going on, just you know, put, put, put life away. Farther away from God, we embrace that. We minimize death. We don't make a, a deal out of it. Or we try to celebrate the person's life and do this and that. We put a, paint a pretty picture on it. We don't have the tombstones anymore. We just have little things. You drive past a, a, a cemetery today, it's like going past a country club out there, right? And there's, there's, we want to minimize it. We want to kind of put it in, in the ba- background in, in that way. We place less value on life. See, it's a consequence. It's a penalty for our sin. And the farther away you get from the Lord, you're more you're going to kind of embrace that kind of death culture in that way. So he goes on. That's number two. Number three. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Here it is. This is what we talked about last last week. We talked about headship. Federal headship, every single person represented by Adam is fallen. So if you're Adam's progeny, you're born in sin. He represented us perfectly in the garden. Heidelberg Catechism, question number six. Did God create people so wicked and perverse? No. God created them good and in his own image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that they might truly know God, their creator, love him with all their heart, and live with God in eternal happiness to the praise, to praise and glorify him. And number seven, <clears throat> then where does the corrupt human nature come from? The fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in a sinful condition. What's it very nicely, very succinctly. Death spread to all men. It's consistent with the teaching of Scripture. It's the common experience of every single person. Again, can you say that you've never committed even one sin? Even today, even on your way to church maybe, right? No, I don't think so. That's the deal. See how Paul's making this argument so succinct, so perfectly? This is it. This is a, this is our problem. Now, next week is going to come the solution. Amen and praise God. We're not left here, and that's a great thing. <clears throat> Number four, very quickly. The guilt of every person, and this is important, this is the main lesson for or section for today. The guilt of every person comes through our connection with Adam, verses 13, 13 14, and then 19. Let's read uh, 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Again, say this is like confusing, I know. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And then down in verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's what I want to stop there. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Okay? <clears throat> the guilt of every person comes through our connection with Adam. Death spread to all men. Adam's our federal head. The guilt of every person, which makes us guilty before God, comes to our connection with Adam. There are two main effects. Get this right, get this down. Two main effects that Adam's sin has had on the human race. This is where our problems come from. This is where our sin nature comes from. This is the the heart of the issue, the heart of the matter. This is why we need to be converted. This is why, in the end, psychology, psychiatry, they're going to fall short because they don't get to the root. They don't get to the heart of the issue. And this is our nature. Two main effects. We talked about one last week. That was original sin. Remember? What's original sin? You better not say the very first sin committed. Are you thinking that? Okay, maybe a little bit. Really, original sin 
is the result, the effects of that first sin that was committed upon us. So we talked about that last week. We all enter the world in a fallen condition, with a fallen human nature. We're not a blank slate. So when you hear blank slate, neutral, simply learned behavior, no, we don't, we don't come in. We don't come in good. We don't come in innocent. We're born in sin. That's a, the clear teaching of Scripture. Now, of course, there's things we learn in behavior. There's things that are, you know, we see. All that is, is true to the extent. But at the heart, we come into the world broken. That's the idea. We don't crack up when we get here. We come here cracked <laughs> in need of help. You understand? So that's our nature. Our tendencies, our desires, our motivations, intentions are reflected in our actions and in the actual sins that we commit. Again, I'm not going to labor this because we talked about this last week, that, that part of it. It's inherent. It's in us. We are born this way. R.C. Sproul put it best, and I, it, I know Tony's going to get on me because this is probably not R.C. initially, but he made it famous, at least in our generation. <clears throat> we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. If you get that, your theology of human nature is very, very solid and very, very biblical. We're not sinners because we sin. It's not that we're innocent. We kind of learn bad behavior, and then we commit sin as we grow up. No, no, no. The idea is we sin because we're sinners. So when that sin comes forth, it just it just confirms who we already are. You understand? That's a big deal. That's good, uh, huge to, to understand. So that's really the first thing, the original sin. But here's the next thing that gets a little confusing and really raises the ire of a lot of people because this is where the, the objections come in about not being fair. You know, how, how come? How, why is it this way, I guess? This is the deal. The guilt, the guilt of Adam's sin was imputed to us. We talk about God's imputed righteousness, that all his righteousness is given to us. Our sin is placed on Christ. He pays for it. And when it comes to sin, Adam's sin was reckoned to us. Now, not personally. We're not personally guilty of Adam's sin, but his sin was credited to us. You need to understand that. That's what makes us sinners before God. Again, that's a a big deal. Um, The Westminster Confession of Faith is pretty helpful here. Chapter 6, it's talking about the sin in the fall. It says this, Article 2, and in um, the questions relating to our fallen nature, it says, by this sin, they fell from their original righteousness in communion with God and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. That's the effects of original sin. But then the next uh, article three says, they being the root of all mankind, our first parents, the guilt of this sin was imputed and the same death and sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by original generation. So if we trace ourselves all the way back, we're going to go back to Adam. We're in Adam. That sin, the root of all mankind, that guilt of sin was imputed to us. So in verses 13 and 14, when Paul's saying these things, it seemed confusing, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Listen, here's kind of the argument. Let me try to boil this down for you. The argument is something like this. The law was, people say the law wasn't given till Moses, right? Yes, right, the, the written law, the commandments. But he's saying sin was in the world before the law was given. 
Now, how do we know that sin was in the world before the law was given? How can there be, if I don't know the law, you know, how can there be sin? Well, Paul's answering that question. He already answered it in chapter 2 a little bit, didn't he? We already know because the law is written on our hearts in Romans chapter 2. When we do the things that are right, we understand that. And people everywhere who don't have the law of Moses, don't have the written law, societies and cultures, know that certain things are wrong just intuitively. Like what? Like murder. They know that that's wrong and, and they'll even have their laws, even if they never heard of Moses and the law. Uh, things like rape, things like stealing, those kinds of things. Not, not They don't have as much light, but they're still culpable because they know because the law is written on our hearts and in our conscience. We learn that. Months ago now, I guess, a few months ago. But that's the idea. But that's number one. But also, also, it's really especially, and what Paul's saying here, is that death reigned, that people died before the law was given, after the fall and before the law was given, that people actually died. And what is death? Death is the consequence. Death is the penalty of sin. If you have no sin, then death has no hold over you. Understand? That's why in Roman Catholic theology, what did they say about Mary? Remember the Immaculate Conception? I always want to say Immaculate Reception. I have to always be careful about that, especially with Franco. Just gone. Right? The Immaculate Conception. Born without the taint of original sin. Because how could the womb that carries the Savior and Lord have sin? So the doctrine was... Um, just the doctrine was brought about, formulated by the church to say that. So Mary supposedly was born without original sin. That's not the teaching of the scripture, but that's the teaching of the church. So after years and years and years, <laughs> they finally came to the, the, the point, well, if she's born without sin, she couldn't have died. So what doctrine did they formulate after that? The Assumption of Mary. How many churches? The Assumption of Mary Church. The Assumption that she was assumed up. Right? So that's the idea. Because if you don't have sin, death ha doesn't have a hold on you. But see, death shows. That's part of the consequence of the fall. So everyone that dies shows that they, by nature, are sinful. That's Paul's argument here. That's what he's saying here, essentially. And that's the idea. If you die, you're sinful. Right? Yes, because of Adam's sin. Now, what's the objection? We're going to close with this. What's the objection? That's not fair. That doesn't seem fair that, you know, this Adam represents me. I should be able to represent myself in the garden. Well, I, yeah, that, that's a nice thought. But, um, first of all, Adam had, Adam had all the advantages perfectly in the garden. Didn't know what sin was before then, had the ability to sin or not to sin. But, it just shows the power, the subtle, wicked deception of Satan. And the power, if we think you could stand up before him, if you think you could be in that place and say, well, let me represent myself. See, Adam was a perfect representative for us. I'm going to close with this. You need to know something. And this goes back to Augustine teaching this. The four states of mankind in relation to sin. If you think you could stand up to the Lord, the, this um, understanding from Scripture in relation to, to mankind and our sin well, what's the idea? Before the fall, before the fall, man was able to sin. He had the choice. He was able not to sin. He could say no. So that's pasa pecure, pasa non pecure. That's the idea in the Latin. How many of you heard that before? Pasa pecure. Where are my theologians? Kathy Z, <laughs> Aaron. Uh, able to sin, 
able not to sin. So before the fall, Adam sinned. After the fall, what's our fallen nature? What's our fallen condition? We're able to sin, of course, but we are unable not to sin. We are sinners in that point. Again, there's we could do good things. We're not talking, ex, you know, extensive wickedness as wicked as we can be all the time. But we are not able to sin. Before you were a Christian, our sin to us was almost normal, right? We justified it. Oh, it might have been a little white lie or it might have been a little thing that we did. We justified it. We closed our eyes to it. We didn't see it for what it really was. Am I right? You know, the things that we did, the things that you did before you were a Christian. Oh, everybody does this anyway. So why not? Why shouldn't I do that? That's kind of the idea here that we're unable not to sin in that way. Then the Holy Spirit comes, regenerates us. Our hearts are regenerated. We're new creation in Jesus Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Again, we're able to sin and we're able not to sin. Not, and it's not a perfect analogy with Adam. There, there's some differences there. Again, because of the conditions, we know what sin is. But nevertheless, as Christians, and we're going to see this when we get into Romans chapter 6, we're much more aware of sin, aren't we? You know when you're sinning now, for sure. Not that you didn't know in your heart of hearts before you were a Christian. But now when you're entering into sin, yeah, you see with eyes very, very clear. You're very much aware of your sin. We see it more readily. We recognize it. We know it. doesn't mean we don't do it, but we understand our eyes are open to our sin. Back before we were Christians, it wasn't even, some things we did weren't even considered sinful by the world. So what? Now we know differently. So we enter into that. And we are able to say no. We have the power to say no. Again, we'll see that in Romans 6. But also 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us this. No temptation is over. No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. And God who's faithful, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, he gives us that out. We know it. We see it. But so often we don't choose to go there, right? We choose to go to our sin. And, and hopefully we repent and, and seek the Lord after that. But that's the point. Here's the point of all of this. If you think, hey, I could stand up. I should have been there. I could have done better. No. With all that we know, that all that we have in Christ, everything that you believe as a Christian, everything that you know, no matter how far along you are, most of us give in to the slightest temptation that we face every single day. We do. Not this, not this strong temptation where Satan's right there before you and, and in your presence tempting. Just little things. Something could trigger you. You see something, that just triggers you. Somebody says something, that just triggers you. You just do that. We, we fall for every little thing. We're going to stand before that? Adam was a perfect representation of man. And we are fallen in him. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what Paul's teaching us. The fourth one, just so you know, is the glorified state. That's the fourth estate of man. We will not be able to sin. That's the only time when we're in glory. No more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow. Amen. And praise God. But you understand, this is our predicament. This is what Paul is, is, is showing us. This is our predicament. Being in Adam and under sin. We're sinners by nature and choice. That reality is not undone by denying the truth. And that's what so many people do. It's not undone through the use of the medical models, psychological methodology, that never truly gets to the root cause, and it's unable to deal with the real issue. Understand? It might have a place here and there, 
but it doesn't get to the heart. Only the gospel does. Only the good news does because we are fallen creatures in Adam. But here's the good news. That's why Jesus came. And that's what's being juxtaposed all along through here. That's what's being compared. That's what's being brought out. That's why Jesus came. came. Remember, this whole section are the benefits of justification. And that's a benefit of justification, that we were sinners in Adam. We're fallen. We're dead. We're deserving of God's wrath and punishment. But here comes Jesus Christ. Here comes our Savior. And there is no other way out of this predicament. And next time, we're going to see how Jesus deals with sin and death.